Scripture reading this morning is from Acts 16. Turn with me there. 9 and 10, and then I'm going to skip the part about Lydia's baptism, and then go uh, 16 to 40. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to be beat with the rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in jail, right? Okay, just want to make sure we got that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, He fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them into the house and set set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer returned these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. 
And Judas and Silas were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And this is the word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as you heard in the prayer, um, May 8th is coming up, and in this city is created great division, um, not only uh, between um, people of different political um, ideologies, but even people in the same denomination um, fussing and fighting with each other and claiming to be on God's side or God on their side and God's on his own side. I said that made that very clear. I want you to be responsible citizens. I want you to vote. But I told, had to tell the, uh, one of the, I think it was a Charlotte Beckelberg GOP chairman, I met with him this week after I wrote that blog, and I told him, you know, we go into the voting booth, and it's not God is pleased with Amendment 1, but if you choose to vote for Amendment 1, you pray, God, please have mercy on us. We still need God to have mercy on us. God cannot be owned by your party. He's his own party. And by God's grace, regardless of whether we're Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Anarchists, we join in with him this morning. And hopefully he'll redeem us from all that. He made the donkey and the elephant. <laughs> and he did not make them red or blue. We did. If you can get all that, that's fine. If not, too bad. We can talk later. We're too serious about the wrong thing. I better stop and preach. I have all kinds of things in my mind. No, don't, you don't want me to let them out. You hadn't seen what I seen. Y'all not as sinful as I am. We continue in our book study through the book of Acts. And uh, last week, we went into the chambers, if you will, the first council of the church to clear up one important issue. The only thing that makes a believer acceptable and thus a viable and cared for part of the church was their faith in Christ alone, not circumcision and not following the ceremonial law of the Jews. It was a message, finally, of unity. But it was not long after the church came to a point of central unity that they began to decentralize and franchise. But not just in their familiar towns and among people familiar to them and their experiences, but into the wild. Wild for these Jews, of course, who were about preserving themselves for God. Now Jesus had come and taken them out of the preserving pickle of their Judaism and put them into the jelly and jam of a sticky and unclear world of people. To be the church in and to the wild. On the fringe and the edge of towns and personality types and religious flavors, all types. What it teaches us is that God is sending his people you and me, the church, into this world to go, to suffer, to bring freedom to a world and people the Bible describes as trapped or bound or tied up or stuck or jammed in a world of darkness, to be the church in the wild and the church for the wild. I was going to do a little thing on Kanye and Jay-Z's song, No Church in the Wild, but I'm going to wait to do that. 
I know some of y'all thinking that. But let's start with the theologian John Stott. He wrote that the head of Jewish households would use the same prayer every morning. They would say this. They would give thanks that God had not made them three things. A Gentile, a woman, and a slave. God definitely had a different idea for his church when we see this what would be described as one of the first missionary journeys. He was going to have them establish a church and become a church populated and supported and started by the most unlikely and most impossible candidates, Gentiles, women, and slaves. Those who historically have suffered under the spiritual, social, and sin bondage of this world. So God sends Paul, as we've read, a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come to us. And Silas and Luke, who who wrote this book uh, with Paul, go to Philippi. And and when they get there, their first convert is a woman by the name of Lydia, who became their host in the city. And the Bible says that as they were going to a place of prayer, which, which would mean, which is interesting because when they would go to towns, they would preach in synagogues. But they went to a place of prayer, which would mean that there was no synagogue because there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. You had to have at least 10 men, but there were plenty enough women to pray for one. And as they were going, this happened. Verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, he he says, we were met, that's Luke probably, by by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. When it says a spirit of divination, it actually, in the Greek, says this girl had a python spirit. Kind of freaked me out when I heard that. Which says that, which was the animal that the Greek god Apollos, who had a nearby temple, was thought to talk or speak through. And when it says that she was fortune-telling, it meant that she visually was possibly visually like one of those things in a horror flick where her eyes go back and she goes into a trance mode and a voice comes out of her mouth sort of stuff. They encounter here a girl completely controlled by demonic spirits. She is not just a slave to the men who owned her and used her to tell fortunes. She is a slave and in bondage to an evil spirit. She is controlled and possessed and moved along by satanic and demonic forces. In our country, unlike many others, we don't have as many obvious manifestations of demonic possession and bondage. Our culture is too easy to get what the devil wants. He don't have to show up personally. But the Bible teaches us that they do exist. And that they still possess and bind people and control the thinking and behavior and will and powers of people. But before we go all vampire killer on the demon possessed, the war or beef is not with this girl. And the goal is, is, is in exercising the demon was not to fight the demon for the sake of some sort of Jesus-Satan gang warfare. No, the war and beef is for the bondage the evil spirit has on her to break the bondage, but not only the spiritual bondage, but the social bondage as well. And casting out the demon, 
Paul was freeing her from a social bondage. The Bible uses the word girl here, a slave girl. She was a child being unjustly used because of her demon possession to make money for her owners. The Bible says here in verse 16 and then in verse 19, when a demon comes out, that what? Verse 19. But when her owners saw that her hope, uh, their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Their hope of gain was gone. In other words, she, a slave, a girl, was nothing to them. She was a spiritual prostitute, if you will, for them. But her bondage was not the only one. There are a couple more subtle bondages I want you to see happening here in Philippi. When Paul and Silas get thrown in prison, mind you, without a fair trial, by a mob who only wants to protect their posh, patriotic, very Roman Prejudice, Roman retirement, gated community. You know, you have to wonder about the prisoners in the Philippian jail that heard Paul and Silas pray. These prisoners are either in jail, you have to imagine, because they have truly sinned against society and done something wrong, right? I've done prison ministry, and when I would do it, most people were in there unjustly. Nobody did it. Their lawyer messed up. But it is a truth in the injustice of certain people in the uh, punishment system of our society here in America that they are there because in some sense people don't want to take time to deal with those who are a social nuisance to the American way of life. Simply. A nuisance. They are in bondage like the slave girl for the money-making, lifestyle-preserving injustices of the city. But there's one more person here trapped in bondage. This Philippian jailer is just as much in prison as those he's in charge of keeping in prison. When he thinks they have escaped, the Bible says he draws his sword to kill himself, to commit suicide because of the Roman guard. If folk escape under your watch, you will be killed anyway. The penalty for not doing your job well, for letting something slip, was death. He is bound to die if he fails his job. He, has, he is bound in prison to performance in fear of failure as a life and death situation, literally. Okay, we run through these interactions quickly. And hope you see who God is sending his people to and getting his new people from. People who are trapped in spiritual, social, and sin bondages of this world. Those muddied and dirtied and hooked on things. Trap it, trapped and protected and promoting what will hurt them and others and in turn hurt you. That's who God's sending us to. Into the wild. You ever heard this verse in the song, Joy to the World? Joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thrones infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Where? Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Where is God calling and sending his people and his church should be in this world? 
out into the world where sins and sorrows and thorns infest the ground of people's lives to, to go as far and as deep as the curse is found, as far and deep as demonic spirits thrive, as far and deep as sin has taken our dignity away, as far and deep as social injustices have stripped people of their sense of worth, as far and deeply as the rat race and performance have made us slaves of, of greed and money and success, as, as far as those oppressed and, and those oppressing have taken our world to society, that as long as there are those who are there, separated from the freedom and redemption of God, anywhere there is spiritual, social, and sin bondage, that is as far as God will send his people. In our new members class, we, we say that God will have his people live, work, and play and bring the good news wherever there is a wherever and whoever there is a whoever. Let me make it clear this way, if I have it so far. Light flies. Where there is human mess, where there is rot and refuse of people who are in bondage and mistreated, like flies, the church and God's people are sure to follow and be all over it in them to find new sin-destructive piles wherever they may be to be the church in the wild. To, as our mission statement says, to be about freeing people to enjoy God, to hear his truth, to, to form authentic relationships, and face the world with renewed dignity that comes through Christ. That kind of stuff should attract us. When we see stuff on the news, we shouldn't try to build a new fence. We should tear it down and try to find a way to get there, to fall on our knees and pray, to be like flies all over the mess, attracted to it. God is, he's sending you now. But listen, I have some bad news about the good news. You know, Pastor Brown always got some bad news in there. If, you know, being like flies to the world's mess is not bad enough. Being a Christian and being in the church is not a cush or comfortable thing. You might feel comfortable right now. I'm, I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. And the prosperity gospel, and, and, and these folk on TV talking about, I saw somebody this morning, I'm not going to say his name, talking about working the Bible and the God of the Bible to make us feel happy and rich and good all the time, or being politically or socially moral enough to make a perfect world of perfect ideals where we can be comfortable and completely confident to raise our kids in and remain unchallenged by, to kind of, you know, vote for all the right things enough so that we can have right or left utopia where we're, oh man, it's the way God really intended America to be and the founding fathers all wanted that utopitarian new kind of prosperity gospel is a lie. It's a lie. Do not buy a picture with Santa Claus and the American flag on it. It's a lie. You know, and I have pastors, oh, that prosperity gospel, telling people they can be rich or they can get a car they want. What about telling people if they vote a certain way, they can get the society they want? That's prosperity gospel too. That's abuse of the scriptures too. The pastors and churches that preach a prosperity gospel, and I, 
Maybe I've done it my own way too. A, a political or financial one are not telling you and me the whole truth. I mean, as a pastor, I, I just for the popularity of my trade want, want being a believer to be something happy-go-lucky and happy days. But the gospel is good news, not a promise of happy days. Because here's the truth. When God calls us to places and people who are bound spiritually, socially, and sinfully, we are automatically being sent to suffer, bottom line. Y'all happy? Because I ain't. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. It says, uh, she, this demon-possessed girl, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this kept going on for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. This may not be evident without deeper study. I didn't know either. But apparently in the Bible, when demons and devils speak about God, he, he is, God is often referred to by them as the Most High God. And why? It is a statement of challenge. It is a statement of desire to move up the chain. Like saying God is the world champ, meaning there is a battle and a challenge. It is true, but it's based on an evil desire. It's like saying, sorry, my LSU friends, when Alabama plays LSU later this year, to show up at LSU Stadium and say, here comes the national chance to kick y'all behind again. You think that'll make people feel nice? Y'all already had enough to drink there in LSU. It's going to go crazy. Not you, Paul. Don't make my mic mess up. You're going to be in trouble. This is a demon's way of saying, here comes the God who's trying to take over, who's a ta who, who is to take all of what we all want and won't share. He's not going to share his glory and control and power. He's the most high God. This demon was simply harassing Paul and Silas by doing this. They were causing them trouble in a city where people had all sorts of gods. It is like me going to a party here in Noda and being introduced as the pastor of Christ Central Church, who is here to witness to you guys and convert you to Jesus, because as he believed, Jesus is the only way you can be saved, and the rest of you are going to hell if you don't believe. True. But nobody would want to be my friend. That's harassing, man. But the harassment doesn't stop there for Paul and Cyrus. It gets worse. The Bible says that when they cast a theme of this little girl who, 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 who uh, is being used to harass them, the men who were getting paid using her as a freak show attraction, that these men snatched Paul and Silas and straight lied on them. But not just any kind of lie, but the lies they knew would make the city upset. Look with me at verse 20. They seized Paul, and then it says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Prejudice, right? They, they, they may not like Jews messing with their posh retirement community. Certain kind of people live there. They were re, re, it was a retirement home for Roman soldiers, right? And they are disturbing our city. You don't want disturbance when you're retired. Trust me. I ain't retired. I want disturbance. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept the practice. Paul and them ain't said that. 
We don't have evidence, they said. And then it says this, what? The, 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 the crowd joined in attacking them. You know, you can get a mob going. And the magistrates tore the governments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. See, they knew by lying that would make this community, because of their own prejudices and desires and longings, go stupid in passing judgment without a fair trial. And they were, the Bible says in the following verses, Again, the crowd attacked and beat them, and they were thrown in jail. I don't know how to make it more simple than this. God calls his church, his people, that's you and me, who wet a cross on our neck, put on the Christian channel every now and then, turn to jazz channel after three, to suffer for and in this world. That as we are sent to and for a lo- and li- to live in a world of bondage, we will be harassed and hurt in it. To be spiritually attacked, meaning sometimes evil and bad stuff just happens to you because there's a spiritual thing going on happening. Sometimes through other people and sometimes just in a week's time, the car, the air conditioning, and the kids get sick in one week. In this world, you will be misunderstood and not heard and mistreated and physically hurt, and your comfort will be taken away. Your reputation may be called into question to make you feel and look like the one bringing bondage, to like Paul and Silas not, you know, being the issue and not the demon woman, but you being the one. You may even face death itself, and I must say, some of you will and may die. Some of you are suffering. Some of your suffering has come in the form of failed ministry. And even ministries that have failed you and mistreated you as you faithfully sought to go out there and take a risk and serve and join up and it hurt you and made you scared and too scarred to go out again. And you may be left thinking this was a mistake. I should have never joined the church. I should have never joined this mission group or, or, or go on this trip or ministry or, or that church or, or, or try to be committed because like the slave girl, they just used us because they needed the numbers and because I was a woman to prove their oppressive so-called righteous point or because I was black and it would bring diversity or whatever and we are in bondage or in prison to the thing we thought would help free others and up, suffering because we went into the wild. Finally did the church thing. Things in life just got worse. You know, if I join the church, I know I'll get married, blah, 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 blah. And it ain't happening. It just got worse. I know if I join the church, my marriage will get better. Some of us have experienced failure and harassing in our marriages and are on the brink of divorce and separation and disgust and despair. And our kids... They get the backwash of our suffering. And I'm not talking about your sinful neglect and abuse. And yes, like we read earlier, that kind of stuff opens doors for all kind of mess. Just by being here and there, your children may not get into the best schools. 
You may not be able to afford it because you desire, you know, God said, hey, don't follow the greedy line of things. So your kids got to go to school in a place where just because they read the school name doesn't necessarily mean they get into good school, college. They may not be in the best schools, and they were not be always only be around good people's biblical values, and they may get mediocre grades and not be all they can be or should be according to worldly standards. They may be a disappointment to your dreams and goals because God has set and kept and keeps sending you and me into the wild. In our desires to live faithful to God in this world, it is hard to not sin. To not get caught up or captured in this and that and not want nicer or better things. To be harassed by the thinking that says, you old fool. You stupid. Look at you. Look how old you are. Everyone your age has this kind of house or this kind of salary. You fool. You failure. And some of us will and have been fatally hurt and wounded by just living out here in, in the wild. We've, we've lost so much and been hurt by so much. Some of us will not make it back to form and faithful service from the harassing temptations and pain of this world. Look, I'm a pastor in a presbytery, and I've seen pastors and missionaries lose it all and have lost their minds and marriages and lives. And basically, almost all because the world and just living here has harassed and hurt. The Bible says in verse 25 that Paul and Silas, having suffered and now in jail, sing a hymn to the Lord. And as they do, they tell the world and now us, guess what? They're not sitting around cursing God. They're not sitting around cussing the system. They're not sitting around saying, oh, man, what's wrong with God? Why, why, why this race of people got it and we don't? God don't love us. What did I do wrong, Lord? They're singing. You know why they're singing? In part, because they're saying, guess what? Us being in prison like this in chains with probably bruises all over our body is in line with what it means to be a believer in the wilds of this world. Yep, this is consistent. This is the closing song of God's worship service in our lives. I mean, I'm a church planner. George, are you a church planner? I think Ken's here today. You a church planner? By all worldly accounts, this jailing is the beginning of what looks like a church plant failure. Your first few days on the field wanting to plant a church for God, you end up in jail? I'm telling you, it'd be tempting by, of the presbytery to say, hey, look, y'all need to come back home. What'd y'all do wrong? Y'all riding dirty? No. Anyway, they got stopped in their white Cadillac. Let me quit. Let me quit. They only had a small bag of stuff. Sorry, Clemson fan, I'm, I'm suffering right now. Suffering. But it's like, they have to write their supporters a letter from jail. Sorry, stop sending support. We failed. Look at us. At least send them money, enough money to bail us out. Ministry's over. Let, let me tell you something. You and I cannot measure our faithfulness or God's faithfulness by the lack of our suffering. 
But by the presence of us and him in that suffering, by the faithful mission of him sending us in that suffering, what an awesome mission statement, right? We're going to free people to enjoy God and have all these great things. You know, when churches do their mission statements, they always have these awesome stuff, freeing people to enjoy God. Oh, Howard, that's a good one. We're going to go change the world for Jesus. You know, I'm sorry we left the asterisk off. You will suffer if you sign up to be a part of this mission. Some of you will not make it back in one piece. Some of you will be called fools by your parents. Some of your degrees will mean nothing because of what you choose to do. Big time degrees, doing nonprofit work to help people. Big-time degrees to make money, right? So you can give to the tax system to help people who probably will never come off the tax system. You crazy. I didn't raise y'all like that. But here's, that's just an asterisk. It's just a sub-point to the main point here. The Gaza sends his people to suffer. I, I know my clothes falling apart up here. Sorry, I tried to get one of these trendy shirts, but man, the little thing's real short. I'm trying to look good, y'all, and look at that. These young people literally wear it kind of whatever. They can't keep it all together. Not made for preachers. But God sends his people to bring freedom to the world. The demon girl, a victim of spiritual attack and oppressive and possession bondage. The Bible says Paul cast the demon out of her and, re and her rejection and lack of use usefulness in that way probably led to her freedom from the two men and to Jesus in another way. Then a curious story here. The Bible says that God caused an earthquake and the prison doors opened and the shackles came off of Paul and Silas' feet and arms to free them. And then the jailer goes to kill himself out of his job performance failure and he gets stopped. And then in the last part of the story, when it is found out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens unjustly mobbed and in prison, the leaders get nervous and just want them to scoot out the back door. And Paul says, no, make it happen like that. We're going to be on the front page with this bad boy. The leaders who agreed for us to be thrown in prison, y'all going to escort us out. Y'all going to put us in the back seat of that tinted window car. Y'all going to roll us on out. So that justice and true freedom for us and for you, and especially freedom and justice to worship for the church we're going to leave here, is a public declaration of being okay. Verse 25 and 26 sums it all up, doesn't it? Let's read it again. And mid, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were, letting, were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bound, bonds were unfastened. God sent his people to folks in a town oppressed and in bondage to all sorts of things, that kept them separated from the humanity and justice and true peace and love of God. And he shook the town and the people free. That when God's people go and come and be for people and in distress and wildly distraught places, 
He shakes it free. He breaks the fetters. He opens the prison doors of all types from all types of stuff. And people are free to respond and hear and benefit and grow and find peace for their souls in Jesus Christ. God sends his people and the city shakes. There's a song that gospel singer James Moore sings that says, Jesus breaks every fetter and he sets and makes us free. I don't care what you or, or, or anyone else is struggling with or this world is struggling with. It doesn't matter what sort of suffering is in this wild place. Jesus has the power to break the fetter, the thing that makes us struggle and keeps a person or place from him. He breaks injustice and prejudice and abusive relationships and, and spiritual heritages that, that, that have this world in a possessive trance or your love for money and power and pleasure and success and accomplishment or competence. He can break that that has a hold over this world and ultimately even if you go to the grave with it I promise you if you are in Christ you will not wake up with it or <laughs> you may stay in chains but the Lord will break the power that the struggle and suffering have over See, Paul and Silas worship while the chains were on. Before they were free from their suffering and knew they were going to be free. How and why? Because the power that would take their joy and peace and hope away was broken when Jesus came into their lives so that no chain, no suffering, no grave, so even if they die, will separate and hold them back from God being faithful to them and his promises to them and reaching them even in jail. The Bible says the prisoners were listening. You know what's interesting about that? God makes his people prisoners to look like the evil people, <laughs> to, to live in the realm of suffering. You see, I think sometimes we confuse Christianity. We want to make Christianity about looking better than other people or doing better than other people. That's never been Christianity. You're not doing any better. Sometimes God puts you in the same financial bond, bond you know, binds, same financial issues. Hey, you in debt? Yeah, I'm struggling too. You a Christian? I thought you had a prosperity God. I do, but that, that ain't holding me back from knowing and knowing his love and his promises. Some of y'all in the same place as people who you consider a living evil. You in jail too. but the power is broken over you. So even when there's not enough money, even when you can't move into that neighborhood, or you have to rent or rent to own and Aaron is your best friend, or bar right now, there is joy knowing that the power to take your sense of worth, that you are a covenant person like that seal, a way that that is not there, that that power is gone. And you only know this as and when God sends his people as witnesses of it, as experiences of it. Look, man, I am not a successful pastor type. I am not. I got all kind of stuff, issues and problems and pains and, and sufferings. And, and I mean, I, I read this Bible a lot and, and I'm trying to get a way out. 
some of you. The way out is the way up. The power of these things to break your soul is over in Christ. And this earth-shaking and bondage-breaking freedom through his people comes from a simple message and ministry. Look quickly with me. Because the jailer is about to kill himself. Verse 30. Then they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not what must I do to quit my job and be in a better spot. What must I do to be saved? Even under this high-pressure job. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And the Bible says they go back and explain the things of Jesus to him, and he and his household believed and were baptized. What must I do in the face of potential death? Or what I thought was my death to be saved, he's asking, to be freed from the fear of what my failure would mean? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And for some of us to be taught again about what life in Christ is really about. To stop listening to the lies. And from that name, what the jailer and the demon possess, earthquake, heartquake, city quake, demons quake, and hearts awake at the mention and sharing of what Jesus came and comes to do. We must and can go. Because we who are his are freed above our fear of failure and suffering to suffer and fail for Christ. I am convinced that Paul and Silas sung that day, not to show off. I've seen it. If y'all know this culture, you understand, like some Christians, oh, I'm going through, but I'm singing anyway. You know, all that stuff. They sang because they needed strength. They sang because they were suffering. They needed food. They needed spiritual help. They needed some hope. We try to make them super Christians. Yes, they're apostles, but they're in change. They're beat down. They're bruised. They're in pain. They're not suffering or, or singing like some sort of sadistic Christian people. They get strength from praising. As you suffer, your strength comes from worshiping. The Lord. Praying, singing, acknowledging the gospel again and again and again. And sometimes you got to sing yourself out of craziness and sing yourself crazy. I'm suffering. But Lord Jesus, you see. I'm stupid, feeling today. But I declare your truth. I was watching Man vs. Wild, a reality show. My heart was broken when I realized he was going to the hotel in the middle of the night. They had to change the description of the show. They did good. He's a believer. He did right. Where they drop a guy's name, guy named Bear Grylls into some barren place, and he shows us, as he says, how to stay alive and survive if we were in similar situations. I try to remember that stuff, too. I think about it when I go in my backyard. If I go in my backyard and I get locked out, 
What plants can I eat? Or I twist my ankle back there on my pavers. I, but I remember one show where he was freezing, man. He looked like he was suffering bad in his tent. And he couldn't make a fire. <laughs> that thing wouldn't catch. It was too wet. And then, you know, he couldn't get any food. He goes, I'm just going to go. He has a British accent. I can never do a British accent. He says, I'm just going to go to bed tonight, whatever. And um, cold and hungry. And he says, at times like this, when you're surviving on the edge, I look at a picture of my family. Because that's a little picture. He said, and he actually says this, as part of your survival, you should always come with a picture of something close to your heart to be the heat and energy you don't have. We come here today and we meet at community groups and come to this table. Well, we don't have a table today because we already had this sacrament. To look and get a picture of freedom and being free and encouraged. And you know what that picture we look at is when we think about a being in the wild that will free us to go and tell and experience suffering while being here? We don't look at a picture of a sunny place or like those pictures you get in the mall, you know, with the, with the rainbow and the guy crossing the finish line like this. No. Or some, you know, victorious person with a gold medal. You know what picture we're called to look at and praise about? The picture of the cross. Of a Lord who suffered. And when he did, took all the bondages on him and suffered to set the captives of this world free and give the power, encouragement, and love of his message and resurrection to you and me so that we could be the church that goes to and even survives and even worships still in the wild. It's hard. I think the quicker we accept being a church in the wild, I believe it, the more we'll need and believe the gospel that we say drew us and called us. We need to call each other this week. I urge you not to sing a solo in your suffering. I urge you to call somebody and y'all sing together. Yeah, be corny enough to sing. I know that sounds stupid. Be corny enough to open a word and just say it to each other. Grab a hand, pray, something. Even if you're fussing and fighting with the person you're sleeping with, your wife, whatever, husband, whatever, you just reach over and you say, hey, hey, I know you don't want me touching you, but I just need to pray real quick. You might need to stick, you know, sneak a touch, you know, on the hair or something. Because they don't want to be bothered with you. They're tired of you. You're suffering together. You know, you just need to sing, but don't sing solo. If you're here today and you live in solo in a suffering world, it's going to be difficult. You're going to miss the gospel in many ways. The gospel won't miss you, but you may miss it a lot. I urge you to come. Join up, be a part of something not this church, somebody church, but of course, come to Christ. Come to Christ. 